It demands that we tell sinners the whole truth. We will not go quietly into the night. Christian Cornerstone Podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the third installment of our series on the Gospel of John. Now before we get started on this, I'm, I'm really thankful. I had a, a really awesome experience and I want to share this with you uh, as much as I can because it really aligns uh, with what we're going to be discussing today. And I thought it was really cool. You see, I, had a, uh, I was meeting with a friend of mine over the weekend and we had a little bit, we, we were talking and uh, there's a little bit of a concern there that um, was addressed or was, was brought to my attention. So I contacted them. I was like, hey, you know, um, you know, thanks for making a note of this, uh, but I'm a little curious, you know, what, what kind of concerns did you have? So, and they ended up uh, telling me some concerns and I was like, okay, well, you know, I appreciate that. I, I really do, and I, I really do, uh, you know, take the, um, I really do take the uh, feedback to heart. Um, you know, this is something I think we, we as human beings don't do too much. Um, I don't think we hold others accountable as much as we should, uh, and I don't think we provide feedback and input and you know corrections when needed as much as we should, uh, as well. Um, and it really pains me, and this is this is everybody, uh, myself included. But in general, it really pains me that individuals, again myself included, um, that we as human beings, um, we don't do this as much, and, and that we um, uh, we have to really ask you know you have a concern what is it other than that we really don't speak up um, you know is, is there something that I need to correct in my life that I that I offend you in some way uh, is there something I did or did not do that um, you weren't too satisfied with um, and you know we don't communicate as much as we should as humans and um, I really think we do rather than having to ask what the input is because we as human beings, we, we, we're in the mindset, or at least I am, and I'm sure everybody else can uh, vouch for this in some way or another, is that we're in this mindset of I really can't correct myself or I can't, I can't fi fix what's wrong unless I know what's wrong. And we can evaluate ourselves. I've done actually done that in the past myself. We can evaluate ourselves and kind of get a rough idea of here's the pros and cons that we have as far as our character goes. Um, you know, as far as our lifestyle goes, you know, the overall global aspect of our lives. We can, you know, weigh the pros and cons, but this is our own personal perspective. Um, and then, you know, we can say, okay, well, I've got this wrong with me. Um, you know, maybe I need to do this and everything. And then somewhere down the line, you know, when you try to you know, you try to evaluate yourself or you try to fix yourself, you're going to justify it some way or another. Uh, and, and we need, I, I honestly think, you know, we are not meant uh, to walk this world alone. As Christians, we're not meant to do this alone. Some of us do. In fact, you know, I myself, I have a struggle with that. I have a struggle with, um, you know, stepping out of my box. Uh, you know, there's a whole entire thought process with that. You know, for a guy that likes to talk a lot, um, you know, there's, you know, you'd think I'd be a little bit more uh, social. Um, so we, uh, we need somebody, uh, a second person, we need a Paul to hold us accountable, that what, someone we can learn from, and we need a Barnabas, somebody who we can learn with. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough, and I'd strongly recommend getting a third person in there as well, find yourself a Timothy, somebody who can learn from you. 
And, uh, you know, we need this accountability. So that way you've got three people. You've got the student that's saying, hey, teach, you know, you're being a little hard. I'm, I'm, I'm not really following along with that. Can you explain a little bit better? Can you do this? You know, whatever you got there. You've got your Barnabas that's your equal as far as your, you know, age, you know, somewhere around there that can hold you accountable and be like, bro, maybe you should listen to Paul. You know, he's kind of doing this or, you know, maybe you can give advice to him this way. And, and you know, see Timothy over there. He's, here's what he's got going on. And, you know, I know from this kind of experience that, that you know, this, is, this would help. So we need that as well. And then we also need Paul. He's the wise man, the elder that uh, we look up to that can, you know, we can one day be the successor. Um, you know, and I'm a strong advocate for mentorship within the church. We don't have that uh, as much as we really should. Um, and I really think we need to pay more attention to that. Um, but anyways, I share that because, you know, as I was putting this, you know, I, I got this, um, these comments uh, this, this evening. Uh, and again, I don't really get too much feedback, and it's it's kind of um, it's heartbreaking uh, myself, you know, and just in general. I mean, with these podcasts, um, I've seen uh, there's been a number of people who uh, listen to them. I think the last uh, episode that was put up, there was 20 people, uh, which is good. I mean, I, I I think that's you know really good, you know, reaching these people and you know sharing thoughts. But one of the things I would like to encourage you, if you're still following along, give feedback. Give feedback when and where it's necessary. If there's, you, you find some concerns with these podcasts, share it. You find some uh, concerns with you know, personal thoughts and you know, how I address this, share it. Um, and you know, even in, in other people's lives, you find you know, mom, dad, brother, sister, friends, best friend, little brother, uh, that goes into the brother category, but anybody else, if you, if you find some concerns, you know, share it. Be like, hey bro, hey sis, you know, a friend, whatever it is, you know, here's my concern. You know, what's your thought process on this? Where's your logic? Why are you thinking this way? And why are you doing this instead of that? Um, what does this mean? You know, uh, engage, give feedback, receive feedback, and, and, and get more active. I mean, that's really the only way things in general can change is if there's a little bit more communication than what we are comfortable with. Um, I personally, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big uh, guy that thinks we should be challenged with our faith and this is why I take the approach that I do is because I think we need to really have that strong uh, strong challenge to, to, to get ourselves to question what am I doing wrong or what do I need to do um, uh, how do I else uh, challenge challenge spiritual growth is where I'm getting at with that so I mean that's that's kind of the approach and, and I share that with you. I, I wanted to share that because it does tie in to this lesson uh, today. Um, and, it, you know, to an extent, you know, if there's a little curiosity that comes on your way, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to share this, you know, if you're curious about any sort of changes that may happen, you know, this would be why. Because, you know, I had somebody give me some feedback, and I'm wanting to, you know, take it into consideration, and I'm wanting to apply it uh, where I can. So... Um, that will be uh, involved as well um, as as seen fit uh, where it's needed. But anyways, what we get into today, this is the third installment. This is divine confrontation. This is um, we're we're talking about the cleansing of the temple. Our first one was a divine authority, and I tried to help explain the idea of the authority of man. How. Um, you know, when God says, you know, wh where, who, when, who God is, you know, we as human beings, uh, we as believers, as children of God, need to listen to him. He, he's not just this gentle giant. I mean, he's a beautiful man, beautiful and loving, loving king. 
But um, you know, the thing that I like to stress a lot is there's a lot more to him than just being all gentle. So, and that's where the idea that he um, he is the Word and he was the Word and he is with the Word comes into play. Our last episode, the divine call, the challenge for the believer to essentially step outside of their box, step outside of their comfort zone, um, and serve God where where you're called to serve. Uh, so there's a, a thing um, as well that I'd love to, uh, you know, that that's that's that piece. And then this one here, the Divine Confrontation. I'd love to share the, the little cliff notes for this, but, you know, it's a brand new episode. We're getting into this. But what I do encourage you, those of you who are following along, open up your Bibles to John uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 13 through 14. I'm, no, wow, 13 through 14. 13 through 22 is where we're going to be reading at. And this is the cleansing of the temple. And I'm going to go ahead and put this on screen for you guys to uh, follow along with. There we go. Okay. All right, so as we get into this, uh, the cleansing of the temple, uh, the, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found those who were selling ox, uh, sheep, pigeons, and money changers were sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins on the money change, uh, of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who uh, sold the pigeons, take these things away, and do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for my house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And he answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? And he was speaking uh, about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This, my friends, is our study for today. Um, and uh, I, I, I've, you know, was meditating on this all day, compiling these notes the best I could. I mean, there's a lot that I had to share here, um, and I want us to really. I think the really the important piece here that I want us to grasp from this is that it, you know how we worship is very important um, you know and uh, Christ tells us in John chapter 4 which we'll get into we'll get more in detail with this uh, piece later on but he tells us that um, you know it doesn't matter where you worship uh, you know there's gonna be a time where it doesn't matter but what matters is that you worship um, in spirit and in truth not on the mountain, um, not in Jerusalem. It's not the external piece that matters, but the internal condition of worship. Uh, and this is really what I hope to get from uh, this episode here. I hope to get us to question uh, both. There's two sides that I want us to challenge ourselves with, um, which we'll get into after uh, this. But one of the things when it comes to worship... Uh, when I talk about worship, when I talk, uh, when I share insight of, um, or my, you know, my thoughts on true, sincere worship, um, I like to give the example, and I, I learned this from a, a, a um, an article by Table Talk Magazine, which is host, uh, provided by Ligonier Ministries. You know, they shared the concept of uh, Saul with the Amalekites, 
Um, and if you want to read it, it's actually First uh, Samuel chapter 15 is where I'm referencing here. Um, and you know, one of the things they explain is our worship of God is very important. And first, we must recognize we can't just go off and um, you know just worship and say it's like okay, you know, my, the, you know, I'm doing this for God, and you know, because I'm doing this for God, you know, he'll he'll recognize us and he'll he'll give me honor, you know, the glory to him. With that being said, we can't slap across. I've said this before, and you know, with, when it comes with a Halloween season, I share that as well. You can't slap the cross on something that's evil and call it good. Um, and it's um, it goes with everything, and it even goes with how we worship, uh, what we worship, what we do, um, and you know, just that general approach. Because we're in this mindset, and I, I've, I've known a couple people. Uh, that do this is, you know, they say it's like, well, we're going to continue doing this because we feel God calling us to this. And, and in certain areas, you know, I can think it's like, but the Word of God tells you, you know, to do something different. Are you really going to go against what that already says because you feel God is pushing you to do this? That's very dangerous to do. Uh, and the example here uh, that I give, like I said, is in First Samuel uh, chapter 15. And the summarization of this is God has commanded Saul to take his army to wipe out the Amalekites, both man, both, both man, woman, child, and their flocks, and, and, and on their cows, their sheep, their oxen, uh, everything that they have. Kill it all, wipe it off, get rid of it. And the, really the purpose is, is because of their, their, you know, their sins, their lack of recognition. God is trying to use Saul and his army as the tool of judgment against the false, uh, the false uh, religions, against the, uh, the wicked, essentially. But Saul takes his army and he goes and he, instead of destroying, instead of wiping these people clean, as God has commanded, what he does instead was, in short, was that Saul saves the best and destroys the rest. And there's a reason. I mean, I'm sure greed would come into play with that uh, somewhere uh, in the heart, in the human condition of Saul. But he tries to justify this later when, when, when Samuel is to confront him. He says, what have you done? You've disobeyed God. Uh, he, you know, he, he tries to say is, you know, we, we've chosen these spoilers of war. We've chosen to take these spoilers of war so that we can offer them as a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord who has given us this victory. Now, there's the thing, you know, in, in, in Saul, you know, from a certain point of view, Saul is, is he's doing good. Saul himself is, you know, he, he's recognizing, okay, we're going to give honor to God. God, you guys, these, these men, these women, these children, these are not ours. These belong to the priesthood. You know, all this gold, all these flocks, all these cows, this is all going to be for sacrifice and offering. This is going to go for the temple, now, you know, the upkeep of this. You know, he, he, he may have had good intentions, but his heart was not focused on the will of God. Because the will of God tells us, in this specific case, you know, I, I'm using you as a tool of judgment, and I need you to fulfill that. But he, as I said, he, he disobeys this. So the result of his worship to God is that God is ultimately, which is what this section is titled as, is that the Lord rejects Saul. Think about that. How 
How troubling can that be? How heartbreaking can that be? You know, you've you in our in our we're going to update this a little bit. We we look to the Word of God and and we see that okay, well, it says that we need to do this. It says that I should t say this. Um, it says that I should not do this. But then, when a certain instance comes in our lives, we we buckle, and instead of being aligned with the truth of God, we we fall to our own devices, our our own ways. Uh, in some cases, it, it's you know probably because we don't have somebody there to hold us accountable. And say, hey, no, don't take that left turn. Take the right turn instead. So um, I mean that's why I say it's very important to have yourself a mentor. And you know Paul himself, or not Paul, Saul himself, he did have that. He had Samuel to help guide him, um, and you know he had uh, his army that was you know most likely there to help give advice. But on in the end run, Saul himself was king, and he's got the final word as far as what his uh, army would do. But he offers this sacrifice. He offers this these offerings to the Lord. And, you know, the good intentions is, okay, the Bible tells me that I should do this, but, I, you know, I, God, you know, I know you're saying this, but I've got something better in mind. You know, let's do this instead, because I know how much you love this. I know how much you like it when we do this. Um, and, and that, we need to really be careful with that. And, and quite honestly, I'm having some events popping in my mind of the past, and it, it scares me that, that these events have taken place, um, and, you know, in myself or in, in other people's lives. Uh, and even in ministry's lives as well, is, you know, we try to justify our actions by essentially manipulating the Word. And essentially that's what Satan does. That, that's a, a, a piece of Satan. And, and that's where the accountability comes into play. Because we get in this mode of, did God really say this? Surely he meant this instead. And then that is ultimately where the rejection of God comes from, is because we've chosen to listen to something else rather than him which I'm convinced, we don't see this in the text, but I'm convinced that the serpent himself was probably working in the backgrounds, manipulating this as well. Um, Saul chose, as I said, you know, Saul chose to take spoilers of war, to offer them to the Lord, but this was done out of a direct disobedience to what God has already commanded, and this is ultimately why Saul was rejected by God. Not just that, but his worship was rejected as true worship. I'm not going to go into detail too much on this. I was originally going to share this, but I want us to only really think about this. Think a minute of how today, uh, in your life, if any, is there any ways that you can give false worship? Is there any aspects of your life that you can see... Um, you can see, or even looking back, and you know whatever you did yesterday, whatever you did last week, um, that you can you you've done something or you said something that you knew went against what you've read in the scriptures, and you know the guidance that God is trying to give you, but yet you justify it some way, some way, uh, you know, to make it good, so to speak. I want us to really think about that because I think, you know, these past experiences that are in our lives, uh, perhaps stuff that's happened, we can't change the past, but we can learn from this. And I think it's important that we ask questions, that we, we even get other people's opinion. And that's what I shared is, is because we're going to lead up to this. we got a lot more to go on this subject. 
But um, that ultimately comes into play, and we need to recognize, is my worship sincere? Is my faith walk sincere? What is it that I need to correct? What is it I need to change? What seems to be contradicting? And we need that Samuel in our lives to, to hold us accountable. We need the Paul, we need the Timothy, we need the Barnabas, and we need those people. And I, I'm really hoping that I can kind of challenge you guys to this as we get further into this, uh, this topic here um, of what's going on here, this idea of false worship and true worship. You know, the temple itself was, uh, it, it, was, it was a holy place. The temple was, was a, a place in which uh, these people would come uh, during the time of Passover and they'd give sacrifice for their sins, recognition to God and His, his, his sovereignty, His, his, his holiness. Uh, and over time, it, it was, it's been perverted. This was supposed to be a place of communion, uh, a fellowship, um, a place to, to, to lean on a brother to say, is like, you know, this... This lamb, this, this innocent lamb, it's done nothing to disobey God. It's done nothing to sin against God. But yet it's taking the sacrifice for me. You know, my brother, that sin that I've committed against you yesterday, and that sin that I committed today, that, that here's what I did. You know, this sin that I've committed, this lamb is taking that. Because my sins are deserving of this death, but this lamb, this innocent lamb, this is doing it for me. I thank God. I thank God every day, every time we make these sacrifices, that He has given me another opportunity. This is what the temple was essentially supposed to be. You know, a means to recognize your sins and to sincerely, you know, ask for forgiveness and repentance from this. But over time it's been manipulated and perverted and now we get to 30 BC I'm sorry 30 AD and what's going on here in the temple the temple sacrifice was turned into a franchise itself the high priest at the time I, re I believe was uh, Caiaphas if I have my uh, names right um, but the high priest himself and he was responsible he's essentially turned this into a, a, a franchise of his own you know, selling off lots, uh, plots of land within the temple so that people could uh, set up some elements. Um, they could sell their sheep. Uh, you know, they could exchange money. And, um, you know, what's interesting, I learned this um, through a, a sermon I was listening to the other day, and, you know, not related. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't really doing this as a study. I just decided to, you know, listen. And, and I found something rather interesting about this out, is that when purchasing the lamb, one, it was the high priest who, you know, the franchise was, you buy a lamb from us, um, you know, because these lambs are spotless. Now, you could take your own lamb up to, uh, to the temple, but it'd have to pass them an inspection, uh, and most of the time it wouldn't. Why? Because if, you're, if your lamb, if we find your lamb, it was the high priest himself um, who was supposed to evaluate these and, and to, um, to see if this was spotless or if it was a good lamb or not. And, you know, if, if you're running a business here within the temple, you're making money on selling your lambs. Okay, the one that you brought all the way from your, your hometown, this one's got a blemish. This one's not going to work. But, you know what, go over here to my friend James, and, you know, he'll hook you up. He'll go ahead and give you one of the spotless lambs we got. They're really good, I promise you. But one of the reasons why this was so perverted 
was because these lambs, and this is the piece in which I've learned, was that these lambs were sold at ten times the normal value of a sheep. They, they took advantage of the system of the normal value of, you know, and I don't know what the cost would be. Let's say, you know, a sheep costs $10. They're going to charge you $100 to take one of these good ones over here. I mean, talk about some, some serious greed. And not only that, but the, the, they also got money from uh, a share of the profit that these merchants would have, that they, they'd make. You know, if they make 100 bucks. I don't know the percentage, but from what I learned is they t the, they take a, a large cut, so probably like 80 or 90 percent, um, or you know 50 or 60, whatever it is, is an unfair uh, portion of the merchant's profit, and it wouldn't go to uh, it wouldn't go to uh, the upkeep of the temple. No, it was actually going to the pocket of the the priest, uh, you know, the man in charge. Uh, and here's the bigger one here. Uh, you know, I guess that would be it. I mean, that that was a very perverted thing, and this is where you know he calls it a house of trade. And then the, in three years or two years from now, you know, his his next time in which will be here the Passover, causing a ruckus, he calls it a den of thieves, giving no quarters. Now, Jesus walks in. He walks into Jerusalem. He goes into the temple and he sees these people. This is verse 13, 14. He sees the, uh, the, these men, you know, selling these ox, selling these sheep, selling the pigeons. These money changers are there. And these are exchanging currencies because you had to have a certain type of currency in order to buy these, uh, these offerings for these, these animals. And it wasn't just the animals, but it was the tools necessary for the sacrifice as well. So they were making a lot of money. And even so, these money changers, this would be like going to the airport, you know, you'd be taxed out the wazoo for, um, you know, for this exchange. You want, and I don't know what the percentage is again, but if you want to change $50 from, you know, from dollars to pesos or, you know, however that transaction works, you know, they take like a 10% or, you know, however much it was. They take a percentage of that cut as a means to make money. And that's what these money changers did within the temple. They, too, were robbing the people. And Jesus walks in and he sees all of this happening. What does he do? He, he, he essentially gives no quarters. He's, he's looking across these and says, this is supposed to be a sacred place. This is a sacred place. This is a holy place. This is my father's house. You know what? I'll give you guys a few minutes. I'm going to go over here in the corner, and I'm going to take what I can of these resources, and I'm going to fashion a whip. I'll get back to you what it's used for. So Jesus, he sits down, and he fashions himself a whip. Now, whether it's a, you know, like one of the long-tailed whips or you know something small just to drive the animals out, because um, I've heard a couple different perspectives of what it could have been. I don't personally know. I kind of favor with, with what we see here in the context. is probably a small whip of just something to irritate the, uh, the animals enough to, to get them moving, and as well as strong enough to kind of irritate a man to get him moving as well. So he's driving these people out, and it's, he's, you know, he's driving everything. The, the key importance here, he drove them all out of the temple. All the sheep, all the ox, all the men, everybody. I mean, this, this was a man on fire for the worship of God. 
This was a man with a jealous passion for the Word of God and, 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 and a proper relationship with Him. I can't even begin to fathom just how much of a, a jealous zeal would have been in him, but I, I can kind of relate. You know, over the years, there's been certain aspects of my faith in which I see certain things or, or, or people say or do something, and I'm like, bro, you know, that, that, that's not wrong. You know, he, here's why. Um, and, you know, I try to try to be subtle about that because you got to be lenient. You know, some people make mistakes. Other people's are voluntary or, or, or directly, um, they know what they're doing. So it, it's kind of on a case-by-case -case basis as far as this accountability goes and how you uh, approach it. But Jesus, he knows full well that in this specific case, these men mean it. We're here to make money. We're here to rob these people of how much we can to get $100 for this sheep rather than the normal $10 we spent for it. We're here to... You know, get a lot of the profit for these merchants, and we're here to, um, you know, to take a nice little cut from this exchange for these people who need their money changed. I can't even begin to imagine the fury that is boiling inside this man, this God in flesh, Jesus Christ. But he sits down and he begins to make a whip. And that's not all. He takes the coin bags of the money changers, dumps them out. He overturns the tables, flipping them all over, turning the place upside down. And you've got to think about that. You go into a church today, and let's um, you know, you, you pick out if, if you can experience this or just imagine yourself um, in a church that's perverting it so much. And they're, they're more focused on the entertainment aspect uh, than they are in the worship. Uh, more so with the worship, they're, they're kind of getting a, a gain out of this somehow for themselves rather than giving the glory to God. If you need to, make up a church. I actually know of, uh, I've, I've had a friend of mine tell me about one, and it's very concerning. They, um, I mean, just think about that real quick. I'm, I'm thinking about it myself, and, and, and it's very painful to hear. I mean, even if we were to update this, this is what I'm trying to do myself, is to bring this specific event into modern times. Uh, and I can think of some. You know, and I think one of the biggest struggles myself, in my personal opinion, within the church would be entertainment. We turn worship into entertainment more than glorifying God. And that's a whole other discussion of its own. But, I mean, I see that there, and, and, and you know, so I see that as a, a perverted worship. Um, Christ himself, he sees, he's, he's acting. This isn't a man who's considered unloving. This is not a man who's full of hatred or, or sinful. This is not a, a man who's being inconsiderate of everybody else, but what he's doing is, as we find out, he's got a zeal for your house will consume me. Christ himself is concerned with the holiness of God, and he's concerned with the worship of God. This was what was at stake. Do we let these people go, do their thing, and, and, and condemn them? Or do I defend the word of God? Do I defend the house of God? And do I drive them out for the sake of his holiness, for the sake of God's holiness and his divine sovereignty. In this case, God's holiness and His word and the worship of God was being replaced by greedy idolatry.
these people were so focused on the worship of their own riches that they've lost sight. They've lost, they've, 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 they were more focused on their own pleasures, their own satisfaction, their own style of worship, much like Saul was, with, that they failed to, to realize or to, to consider the real purpose or the bigger purpose, the most important purpose as far as this worship goes. It's not about making profit. It's about making peace with God. So he's tipping over tables, turning the merchants, accusing them, and turning that he's turning the temple into a, temp, a, a trade store. This is no longer a church. This is no longer a sacred temple. This is a shop. There is no worship going on here. There is no proper sacrifices. The aroma itself is offensive to God. The zeal for your house will consume me. This comes from Psalm 69, verse 9. And this is uh, written by David during a time in which he was facing uh, personal persecutions uh, you know, of his own because of his zeal uh, for the house of God and God's own honor. Uh, it was the very same deal. You know, David had to deal with it, and now Jesus has to deal with it. And more importantly, Jesus has to defend it. But the biggest thing, and I think, you know, I, I can kind of relate to this a little bit myself, is he's not responded with, have mercy on us. We've been exposed. Forgive us of our sins. You know, there's, there's no means of repentance taking place here. But instead, you know, Jesus, brand new to the ministry, this is actually what's really different with the, the second account because they don't, they don't mention words like this. They already know. But in this case here, they ask in verse 18, it says, The Jews said to him, What signs do you show? What signs do you show us for doing these things? In reality, what these 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 men, the these soldiers, these these Jews, these high priests, these men who are coming up to them, they're asking, they're not just saying, "What signs do you have to show us for this?" They're asking, "How dare you? What right do you have? By what authority do you flip these tables? By what authority are you driving these uh, uh, these merchants out? Who do you think you are that you're?" flipping over these coin bags. I think we really, I think we come across that. Uh, I, I, and what's interesting, and I, I hate to say this, I, you know, I've, I've experienced this in, in a certain way. You know, I've experienced this uh, myself. Um, uh, you know, as a lot of the reformers did, uh, now I'm kind of thinking, I'd like to know more about that. This is a little side note myself. Um, one of the reformers I, well, I need to get a book on is Martin Luther. I think he's a very admirable man from the studies I've done with him, and I'd like to know more about him. But, um, you, you know, you look at this, and, well, let's go back to the, the, the reformers. I think they're a really good example as well. The reformers, in a nutshell, their purpose, their goal was not to expose the Catholic faith's errors. Their goal was to bring the Catholic faith away from tradition and back into 
well, salvation, back into the scripture, back into the restoration and the regeneration and the proper relationship with God. That was their purpose. That was their main goal. Martin Luther, he puts, some, uh, he puts up stuff on the bulletin board. He says, hey guys, you know, what do you think about this? That was his purpose you know, for us as the, the, the religious scholars to communicate with each other. Um, you've got Wycliffe. He wants to translate the Bible, uh, I believe, into English, German, into a known language. I can't remember which one uh, he was all about. And then Martin Luther, he does that as well into German. And their, their reasoning for that was they believed that everybody should have access to understanding and be able to read the Word of God for themselves rather than simply relying on, you know, Pastor Joe. So that, um, that was their means for that, and they were ultimately cast out as heretics and, you know, burned as martyrs or killed martyrs' death. Uh, Wycliffe, as an example, 40 years after his death, the Pope ends up bringing him back or burying up his bones just so they could, you know, have a trial and burn him. But their purpose was not to expose the church. Their purpose was to correct or bring it back to a right path. And much like this this was done here, Jesus, he's got a zeal for the house of God, a jealous passion for for the holiness and, and of God and, and his honor. This was a means to correct the people, to bring them back into a true worship, to stop perverting the faith. And as I said, these Jews come with him and they ask, who do you think you are? By what authority do you have this? Or, or the, the accurate term here of what's being used in the text is what signs do you have to show for this? And Jesus responds, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. See, what Jesus is saying there he says, you want to know by what authority I'm doing this? You give me three days. Not now, but later. You give me three days, and I will show you just how much authority I really have. He says, I am doing this because this is my Father's house. I am the son of the Father of this house. This is my house. I think there's two applications uh, in which we can take from this. Uh, this one, this first piece here, you know, closing up with this is is, is Jesus is essentially he's a man. He's more than a man, of course, but in our in in you know in how we can relate to this. This was a man who was so passionate about true worship. He was so passionate about it that he was willing to defend it at all costs. He was so passionate about it that he was ultimately right then and there. We can clearly see that these Jews were already already had it in their minds that they're going to go ahead and kill them. Why? Because he says, destroy this temple, referring to his body. You kill me, and I'm going to raise myself three days later. So they were, they were already concocting ideas three years prior to his crucifixion of how we can go ahead and, and conspire against him and how we can get him on trial. We've got to get him to slip up somewhere. There's two applica <coughs> excuse me. There's two applications we can take from this. And I think it's important that everybody listening kind of you know takes this under consideration. Both of these attributes both of these applications. Number one, 
What ways do we give false worship in our individual lives? In our individual lives, you know, how are we giving false worship to God? What, where is our perversion, uh, if you wish, or, or, or in vain worship? You know, and I, some of these examples um, that we could give or that I would give would be attending Christmas and Easter only. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing that you're attending church. Uh, you know, you getting an understanding of, of, of the text, of, the, of what's going on. But when we, when we do that, or when, you know, we have the people that are Christian or Easter only, they go there because it's the right thing to do. They don't do this because they want to grow in their faith. It's just kind of something traditional. You know, we, we, you know it's the birth of Christ. It's the death of Christ. We need to recognize that. Okay, we'll see you again in six months. And this is a very this is very concerning to me, and I I, I I I really have a hard time around this time of year, around both of these holidays, because of in general. And I I used to be this guy, I totally was this guy years ago, and and it scares me because of having that personal experience, and it scares me that we have people today doing that, and and I don't want them to have that. I think that if you're going to be faithful, be faithful. But if you're not, then don't. So every time we have new people, you know, the, the congregations are filling up on Christmas Day and they're filling up on Easter Sunday, you know, I pray. I pray and I hope that even a handful of these people are repenting and they're, they're having this generation, this, this regeneration. But we can give false worship by being that person that's an Easter and uh, Christmas only we can be uh, give false worship by thinking that our attendance to church is enough. Um, we can give false worship by thinking, by you know, going to church just to see what I can get out of this. How does this apply to my life? All of this, and you know, it does apply to us, but it's not for us. This is the the word of God is given to us to be proclaimed, not for our benefit, not how much spiritual money we can get out of this. But to, to help us to recognize our errors, to recognize our sins. Where are we not giving true worship? Are we worshiping at all? Who, do, who of my brothers, of my sisters, of my neighbor, do I not love? Do I need to show this love to? Who is it that sinned against me? Or who have I sinned against? And who needs, where does this relationship need to be resolved? And how can we resolve this? What kind of false teachings do I believe? And what do I need to do to change those? What is the truth? And there's a so much more to that. Yes, they can be applied to ourselves, but ultimately for God's glory. God, I recognize this sin in my life. Change me. I mean, I, there's so much we could go about that. Um, and I'm you're kind of getting a little worked up, if you can't tell, for those of you who are watching this uh, video here. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'd have to say, you know, I, I side with Jesus, I side with David on this, is that, uh, you know, the, the response to this kind of worship, I mean, that's, I, I have to agree with him. I, you know, this is, if, if I was to come across something like that, that's probably what I would do. Um, the second point here, again, we, we've, we've taken one point of where, it, it, you know, one perspective where we're the sinner, where we're the person in the wrong, we're the one giving false worship. 
and Christ himself is ultimately pushing us out, much like uh, God did with Saul. You know, he's trying to give worship to God, but God ultimately rejects it. So there's that aspect of it. But the other aspect that I want us to take out of this, that I want to challenge us to, is how can you apply this? How can you be bold in your faith and strong enough to be willing to defend the Lord? Or more importantly, how bold are you willing to be? I mean, that, that's a whole entire conversation. We're not going to get into that right now, but I want us to really think about that. Challenge ourselves. When we see a, a, a certain errors, we must be willing to confront them. Not just, in the, not just in the Christian faith, but in the Christian person as well. You know, I was thinking about this uh, today. I'm not exactly sure what, uh, where it came from. And I, I don't exactly remember the verse uh, offhand. And, um, but, uh, or at least where, where it's at. I think it's in Romans. Uh, no. I don't know. You can look this up. But essentially the idea is, um, I think it's actually 1 Corinthians, if I remember right. Uh, and I'm going to turn to that as I tell you this story. The idea is that we are to judge the inside of the church rather than the outside. I was listening to this uh, broadcast, or not a broadcast, uh, um, it was a stream. What was it? It was uh, Chosen. I, went, I talked about this uh, last week as well. And... Um, it, uh, you know, you know, one of the things in which Jesus said is, you know, you go, he's, you know, referring to the parable of the net, you know, casting out, collecting all of these fish, and then throwing the bad ones away. And the thing that really popped into my head today that I was kind of meditating on was one of the things that he says is, you know, just go ahead and collect everybody that you can. I'll sort them out later. And this is specifically referring to the church because we have this here. He says, um... Is it not those inside the church? This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Is it not those inside the church? Or I'm sorry, let me start at the beginning of that. For what have I to do with judging the outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? This is a question he's raising. Because why? God judges those outside... Rather, purge the evil person from among you. And that's talking about a man who's caught in a, a sexual immoral act with a, a, step, a stepmother, I believe. But the principle itself goes to say is our focus needs to be the cleansing, the purification of not just our own individual selves. And that, that is very important. I, I will admit that. That is very important that we need to work on building ourselves up in, in the righteousness that God has in store for us. But we must also be willing to, you know, with an extension of love, to reach out to somebody and say, you know, I see you struggling there. However it may be, the struggle can come in a variety of different ways, and we must be willing to say, it's like, here's the correction. You know, and I do this because I love you. I share this because I care about you. And I have concerns. And I think uh, in some aspects, I think we, um, and myself included, I think we can come across this and in in it can be taken in a negative manner. Um, but at the same time, uh, I shared this the other day, you know, this is, people are going to have this all over. You know, some people are not going to like what you have to say. Some people are going to accept it um, and, you know, take it under consideration. But 
ultimately there's going to be people that are against us. What we need to be more concerned about is not how people respond, because you know clearly Jesus wasn't really concerned with the the frustration that was going to come from them him driving these people out and making Caiaphas and the high priest lose his money. He was concerned about the holiness of God, the purification of the temple, and not just the temple, but the purification of the people as well. That was his main concern here. And likewise, I, I think it needs to be ours. And I think, and again, closing this up here, I think we need to be a little bit more hands-on with that. And again, specifically within the church. But um, we'll leave the rest of it for a later time. Um, I really hope you guys got out, got something out of this. I mean, this was really fun. And again, I liked how it tied into my little experience that I had earlier. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty thankful for that. And I think it's something that we need to question is, is where is our error? You know, where is our false worship? Um, or, you know, if you want to globalize it or universalize it a little bit more, where is our hypocrisy that's within us as Christians? Um, and the other aspect of it is how bold or how are we willing to stand up in a defense for the Lord? So that is all I have for you guys, um, and we'll get into, I don't even know what we're getting into next week. Uh, same deal. Let me flip over that real quick. All right, John chapter 2, I don't know. We'll get, uh, ooh, there's a little bit uh, a little bit of fun stuff there. We're, we're, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll see what's happening, but uh, we're going to go continue in, in John next week. Without further ado, you guys have yourself a very wonderful weekend and a wonderful week. And God bless.